Revelation 5 and verse 1, John said, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and the four beasts in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, and which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the sea and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Let's bow for prayer, then you can be seated. Our precious Heavenly Father, as we bow in your presence tonight, Lord, as we come to the throne of grace and mercy, we come in Jesus' name. God, we need you tonight. I pray that you'll touch us physically and spiritually. I pray that you'll illuminate our mind and our heart and thought tonight. Lord, without you, we can do nothing, and we ask you to help us now. I pray that you'd be exalted and lifted up. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things in thy law, and may you be glorified and magnified, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated tonight. I want to preach a few minutes tonight on this subject, on the title deed of the earth. The title deed of the earth. When you come to this chapter here in chapter 5 and verse number 1, uh, the Bible opens up here and it reveals to us that in chapter 4 that Christ is seen in this chapter as the author of creation, as he is the God that sits on the throne. The Bible says in verse number 11 of chapter 4 that he was worthy to receive glory and honor and power for he has created all things and for thy his pleasure they are and were created. He is the author of creation. But when you come to chapter 5, he's the author of redemption. Amen. As the Bible talks about Christ being a lamb that was slain from the foundations of this earth, he was a lamb that stood in the midst of that throne. And so he pictures him in this chapter. And this is a chapter of grace. As chapter 4 was a chapter of government, chapter 5 is a chapter of grace. In chapter 4, he's the Lord of, of creation. But in chapter 5, he's the Lord of Calvary. Amen. I want to say the same God that formed this earth and that formed that hill is the same God that died on that hill and purchased our salvation that day. When you come to chapter 5 and verse number 1, we find here that 
John reveals first of all that there is a great hand as he says and I saw in the right hand of him. I want to stop and say this is no ordinary hand but this is the unseen hand. This is the great hand of God. There's a book that's in this great hand. I thank God for his unseen hand that has led me through this walk of life. That hand that you and I cannot see but yet it guides us and protects us and leads us through this walk of life. And so there is a great hand and then there is a great throne. As he says, I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne. What throne is that? It's the throne we just read about in chapter number four and it is God's throne. It is a throne of grace and a throne of mercy. It is also a throne of wrath and a throne of judgment. And my friend, a throne that only is an eternal throne. And so there's a great hand and then there is a great throne and then there's a great book, amen? As the Bible says that a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. Now, whenever you think about a book tonight, you think about basically three things. You think about its cover, you think about its chapters, and you think about its content. Isn't that right? When you look at a book, you look at its cover. Uh, Sometimes people say, well, you cannot judge a book by its cover. I think some of that is true, but I don't think all of that statement is true, for there's some books, when I look at them, you can judge them by their cover. But we think about its cover, and we think about its chapter. Most of the time, we'll open a book up, and before we start reading, we'll look at the chapter headings. We'll find what that book is really about. And then there is the content, what makes up that book. Well, this book is a seven-sealed book, meaning it has seven seals. It has seven chapters to it. It is like a scroll, is what the Bible is talking about here. And it has great meaning and significance in heaven. When we think about this book tonight, we think about the description of this because it it is the title deed to the earth, amen? It has seven seals, it is like a scroll and there's much to be said and has been written within that book, amen? My friend, this book is not just a book that reads, but this is a book that when it is opened, things are turned loose, things begin to happen and there's only one that is worthy to open that book. So we think about the, the description of this book and then we think about the definition of this book. What does this book really mean? What is the title deed to the earth? Well, you know the story that God created this world. Verse 11 of chapter four tells us that God created this earth and in creating the, this world, he put man in that paradise compartment. He put him in the garden of Eden there and he gave Adam dominion over all of the earth. He gave him authority. He gave him power. All of the animal kingdom, the planetary kingdom, everything was put under Adam's authority. But you know that man sinned in the garden. And when Adam sinned, the first Adam, he forfeited those rights. He gave up that glory. He gave up that authority that had been given unto him by God. Amen. And so he lost the very deed that had been given unto him. I want to say when Adam sinned in the garden, listen, his spirit died immediately, his soul died progressively, and his body died eventually, amen? Because that's what happened. Everything began to die. When God stepped in that garden, he cursed the devil first, amen? I want to tell you what he did in doing that was that God waged war on Satan the very second he walked into that garden. Man became the battleground between good and evil, 
between God and Satan, but the ultimate victory will be won, my friend, through the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? And because the first Adam lost that deed, I wanna say the last Adam, he is not the second Adam, for if he was the second Adam, that would imply there could be a third or a fourth or a fifth, but the Bible calls him the last Adam, amen? He's the first and the last, amen? He's the beginning and the end, and the last Adam went up to Calvary's hillside, he suffered and he bled and died on that cross, and when he died on Calvary's hillside, the last Adam bought back everything that the first Adam lost in the garden, amen? I wanna tell you, Jesus prayed in a garden, Adam was defeated in the garden, but Jesus prayed in the garden, he was buried in a garden, he resurrected in the garden, I wanna tell you, thank God, he come out of the tomb and he bought everything that Adam lost, hallelujah. You know what happens now? When a sinner gets saved, my friend, and they meet the last Adam, I want to tell you, the moment of salvation, in their spirit is justified immediately. Adam's, my friend, his spirit died immediately. But when a sinner gets saved, their spirit is justified immediately. Adam's soul died progressively. But I want to say when you get saved, our soul is sanctified progressively. Amen? Adam's body died eventually. And I want to say when you and I, now that we're saved, our body is going to be glorified ultimately one of these days because everything that the first Adam lost, the second Adam brought back. Amen? I want to say he owns the title deed to this earth. Hallelujah. When you come to this text tonight, you'll notice with me that in this text in verse number two, there's a great proclamation that is made. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. There's a great proclamation that is made. That proclamation in verse number two leads to a great investigation in verse number three. The Bible says that no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look their own because this proclamation has been made. They've searched all over heaven and no man is worthy. They've investigated everyone that was there. Abraham was not worthy. Isaac was not worthy. I want to tell you Noah was not worthy. Listen, on and on the apostle Paul was not worthy. No man in heaven nor in earth was worthy to open this book. But that investigation leads to a great lamentation. As John says in verse number four, and I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. Perhaps this is the first time, Brother Allen, that tears are ever recorded to be shed in heaven. John is weeping because no man is worthy to open that book. But hang on just a minute. That great lamentation, that great investigation, that great proclamation, you know what it leads to? It leads to a great manifestation because in verse number five, one of the elders taps John on the shoulder and he says, weep not. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. I'm glad there was no man worthy, but there was a God. There is a lamb. There is a line that was worthy to open the book of those seven seals. Amen. You know what that, you know what that manifestation leads to? It leads throughout the rest of this chapter and all the way to verse number 14 to a great adoration. What happens in chapter five is the same thing that happens in chapter four. It leads to worship, amen? 
And can I tell you something? In chapter four, they're worshiping the creator, the God of heaven. In chapter five, they're worshiping the God of heaven, but they're also worshiping the lamb that was worthy to open the book. I wanna tell you, friend, all we're doing down here tonight is we're just getting ready for what we're gonna do over there. We're gonna spend eternity magnifying, worshiping, lifting up the precious lamb of God. Amen. So what is this book about that would lead to such an investigation, that would lead to such tears, that would lead to such worship, that would call all of heaven's attention? What is this book about? It's about these four things I wanna give to you tonight. I wanna say number one, it's about jurisdiction because the Bible says in verse number two, the question is asked, who is worthy? to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. No man in heaven, in earth, or under the earth was able to open the book or to look thereon. No man is worthy. It's about who is worthy to hold this deed within their hand. Who is worthy, who is powerful enough, my friend, to obtain uh, the deed to the earth. Do you realize tonight the Bible categorizes three different areas in verse number three? It talks about no man in heaven, it talks about no man in earth, and it talks about no man under the earth. I want to tell you, my friend, there's been war against, uh, since the beginning of time. When you think about who does this world really belong to? Does it belong to God? Does it belong to man? Or does it belong to Satan. Well, I want to say tonight, if you look around at all the sin and all the mess that's happening around this world, it doesn't look like a world that would belong to God because God would not create a world so wicked as this. This world doesn't look like one that would belong to God. Man has fought over this world. Kings uh, down through the ages and armies down through the ages. Uh, this world, even presently speaking, is in a pressure cooker tonight because one wants more power, one wants wants more ground and the world is turning on each other and my friend what men have tried to do ever since the rise of Nebuchadnezzar is to see who could conquer the world and who could own this world only to find out that no one has ever been no man has ever been able to claim that he was the ruler and the conqueror of the entire world amen it does not belong to man it does not belong to Satan amen can I tell you something about the devil tonight he may be on the rampage and the devil may be on the loose but you mark it down make no mistake about it he's not in control tonight amen he may be on the rampage and he may be on the loose but he's not the one that's pulling the strings he is nothing more than a puppet on a string tonight he may be on the loose but he's not in charge there is one tonight that is in charge and he is the one that's worthy to open this book and he owns the title deed to the earth tonight. I want to say this book is about jurisdiction. But this book also tonight is not only about jurisdiction, but it's about Jesus. Amen. You say, how do you know that preacher? Because the Bible said in verse number five that one of the elders saith unto me, weep not. Behold the line of the tribe of Judah. 
the root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Think about the line of the tribe of Judah in Genesis 49. Jacob prophesied that the Messiah would come out of the tribe of Judah. Mary was a part of the tribe of Judah. Am I friend in 2 Samuel in chapter number 7 and verse number 8? God told David that my friend that his kingdom, my friend would be eternal. And when that angel came and proclaimed the Messiah would come or that he was here, that angel proclaimed that of his kingdom what? There would be no end. Amen. I want to tell you my friend he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the root of Jesse. The Bible does not say he's the fruit of Jesse. He's the root of Jesse. Amen. What that means is before Jesse was, Jesus was. Amen. I'm telling you before there was a Jesse, there was a Jesus. Amen. I'm here to tell you tonight this book is all about Jesus. Amen. This title D, it's all about Jesus. And my friend, thank God, I'm glad the book I hold is all about Jesus tonight. Amen. I like what the songwriter said. Jesus is the sweetest name that I know. And he's just the same as his lovely name. Oh, tonight, when you think about this, verse seven says that, behold, I look low in the midst of the throne and the four beasts in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. I want to say the lion speaks of his future work that's going to be done. The lamb speaks of his past work that already has been done. But notice what he says about this lamb. He said it had been slain. And he says this lamb has seven horns. That speaks of imperial power. He said it had seven eyes. Uh, that speaks of intelligent power. He said it was seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. That speaks of spiritual power. Can I tell you something about this lamb? And we know this lamb is Jesus. Those horns represent that imperial power. You remember in the book of Daniel. When the Bible talks about them horns on that beast, those beasts, uh, it's always talking about those uh, that were in power. I want to tell you this lamb has got seven horns uh, because he is complete in his authority. He's complete in his power. He's got seven eyes. Uh, you know what that means? Uh, that means he's got, uh, he's got intellectual power. That means he sees all. Amen? He sees what's ahead. He sees what's behind. Uh, he can see through the wall. He can see what's on the other side. He can see what's on this side. He can see an eternity past, but yet he can see an eternity present, but he can see an eternity future. He can look before the storm. He can see in the storm. He can look beyond the storm. He can see it all. He can see the visible, and he can see the invisible. He can see what's in time, but he can see what's in eternity. He can see what's in heaven, but he can see what's on earth. He can see what's in hell. He can just see it all. I'm glad I serve a God tonight. He can see everything. He can see ahead of me, but yet he can see behind me. He can see what's on the right hand. He can see what's on the left hand. He can see through the storm. He can see through the fire. He can see through the flood. He can see through the trial. He can see on this side of the mountain, and he can see on that side of the mountain. He sees the beginning, and he sees the end, and he sees everything that's in between. He sees it all, hallelujah. That's him, hallelujah. Praise God, it makes me want to shout, amen. I'm telling you, don't you love him? I'm glad he sees everything tonight, amen. I want to tell you, God sees what we don't see. He knows what we don't know. He's already been where we've never been. 
I'm telling you, it's trotted away. Don't it make you feel good on a Sunday night? I don't know what Monday's holds, but God's already been into Monday. He's already walked through Tuesday. He done sees my Wednesday. He done sees if there's gonna be a Thursday. He sees every trial. He sees every trouble. He sees every tear. He sees every burden. He sees every battle. He just sees it all. Hallelujah. It's about Jesus. He's got that intellectual power. That imperial power, no one will ever dethrone him. And then the seven spirits of God, he has spiritual power tonight. I'm glad I serve an all-powerful God. I want to tell you tonight, there's power in his word. There's power in his spirit. There's power in his blood. There's power in prayer. There's power in faith. There's power in his church. I'm telling you, there's power in his man. I'm talking about there's power. There's wonder-working power. He told the disciples, go in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And he said, lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the earth. But in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, Mark was standing there, and when Mark recorded that great commission, he wrote what Jesus said when he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. I'm telling you, he don't have some power. He don't have just a lot of power. It's not just much power. He don't have just great power. He's got all power, amen. He's got more power than the devil does tonight. He's got more power, my friend, the kings of this world. He's got more power than the princes of this world. He's got more power than money. He's got more power than government. He's got more power, my friend, than the army. He's got more power, my friend, than you and I. I'm telling you, he is an all-powerful God tonight. For there is no greater power than spiritual power tonight. Oh, I wish we could lay hold of that. The greatest power is the power that comes from above tonight. I see tonight, this book is about jurisdiction. It's about Jesus, but then it's about jubilation. Because the Bible said in verse number seven, notice this. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book and the four beasts and the four and 20 elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them hearts and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Don't you thank God for the prayers of the saints? There's a massive hole that has been left with Brother Stenet Blue gone because he was a praying man. I want to tell you tonight, By the grace and help of God, don't you want to be a praying Christian? And I want to say that when he took this book, those beasts and those elders, they fell down on their face. Those vials and those that took their hearts and their vials, the prayers of the saints, and notice what they did in verse number nine. The Bible says they sung a new song, saying thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Do you know what's happening here? Real worship is taking place. Friend, there's a jubilation taking place. I want to say real worship involves humility. Notice the Bible says that. The word of God said that uh, they fell down before him in verse number eight. Real worship is humility. It's not lifting self up. It's lifting the Savior up. Amen. Real worship involves holiness. Amen. 
time he talks about those prayers of the saints, those golden vials. Uh, that's holiness, amen? God's throne is holy and his worship is holy, amen? Worship never, real worship never, it gets fleshly. It never gets foolish. It never exposes the flesh, uh, but it's always God honoring and Christ exalting, amen? It doesn't appeal to the flesh. Uh, that's what's wrong with all this new type of worship and contemporary worship. They're looking for something that appeals to the flesh, amen? And they come to a church like this and they say, oh, I don't want anything to do with that. That's why, because you gotta be dialed into the spiritual world, amen? We're not gonna put a beat in there that tries to get the world's attention. I wanna tell you, our music ought to sound like heaven. Our message ought to sound like the word of God. It ought to exalt Christ. It ought to lift his name up because worship involves humility and it involves holiness, amen? It involves happiness. Notice what the Bible said in verse number nine. They sung a new song. I don't believe in worshiping God looking like you've been sucking persimmon. Somebody say amen. I think when you worship God, you ought to smile. Amen. I don't think you can worship God looking like you know you're you're mad at the world. I I think we ought to be sober minded, but sober people can still be smiling people. Somebody say amen. Everybody will be happy over there, but if we're right with God, everybody can be happy over here. Amen. I don't want to go to heaven miserable. I want to go to heaven with the joy of the Lord because that's our strength. Amen. And so, my friend, real worship, it doesn't make you mad. It makes you happy. Amen. And you know what? Let me just stop and say that. I've been in some places where people look looked like they were half ticked. And they're supposed to be worshiping. Made me do a back step and said, man, if what they got makes them feel that way, I don't know if I want that. I want to tell you something. Worship exalts. It makes you feel good, not feel bad. I want to say real worship is honoring. Thou art worthy, he said in verse number nine, to take the book. Amen. I want to say real worship. My friend honors the one that's worthy to be honored. Amen. I know the Bible says to give honor to where honor is due, but worship ought to not to be built around a personality. It don't need to be built around a preacher. It don't need to be built around people. It needs to be built around the Lord. Amen. It needs to exalt Christ. And real worship, my friend, you know what else it involves? It involves heaven. Look at verse number 11. The Bible says, and I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and, and honor and glory and blessing. Do you know what happens here? We start in chapter four and four beasts start worshiping God. Then 24 elders start worshiping God. Then John starts worshiping God. Then listen, the angel choir begins to sing in verse number 12 and begins to worship Worship God to thousands, times ten thousands, all of heaven. My friend, listen, like a glory wave. It started at the throne of God with four beasts. It went down to those elders, got a hold of John, began to get a hold of the angelic choir. And by the time we get to verse number 13, every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in thee have heard I sing blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever and the beast say amen. And I want to say with them beasts, amen, amen, and amen. I'm telling you, it started at the throne and it reached down to the lowest of this earth. All of the creatures begin to magnify the one that was worthy, amen. 
I want to tell you something. We're way behind on worshiping God. If there's anything tonight, God help us. We get our minds on everything else but worship. We get our minds on people, problems, places. Well, preacher, I got to go to work tomorrow. Who cares about tomorrow? You say, well, I, I got to get, you know, I got to get up early in the morning. Yeah, but I'm going to tell you something. You know, worship, you know, if you'll worship God, you'll sleep better at night. I'm just telling you. You know, it's not just for Sunday. Now, I'm telling you, there's nothing like, if you don't believe it, try praying before you go to bed. I'm telling you, you drink six cups of coffees and a spark and everything else. And you can go to pray, and I'm going to tell you something, you'll start nodding off. It's the flesh, it's the weariness of the flesh. The flesh, the spirit's willing, but that flesh gets awful comfortable, awful weak when it comes to, and I'll tell you, if it ain't that, the devil will come in that prayer closet and say, hey, you ain't got time to pray. You better get in bed. You gotta get up in the morning. Uh, you need your rest. You know, you need your beauty sleep. Uh, uh, you know, you're gonna have a heart attack if you don't get in there and get a proper amount of sleep. Uh, or he'll say, you know, you gotta go cut the grass or you gotta go do the dishes uh, or you gotta, you gotta hurry up. Uh, he wants you out of that throne room. Uh, he wants you out of that place of prayer. He don't want you to get hooked up with God and to get in touch with heaven free. Oh, but I want to tell you something about worship. When you call time out on everything else and you just get along with God, I'm telling you, God will do something in the recesses of your soul. It'll make all the difference in the world. It'll make you step higher. It'll make you look at life better. He'll go with you all day long and the troubles of life will seem like nothing, but he is near and his presence is real. Hallelujah. I want to tell you something about church. Church is boring when you don't worship. And like I said this morning, you don't have to worship like me. But I'm going to tell you something. Worship is inward, praise is outward. I wouldn't give a nickel for anybody's praise that don't worship in their heart. I have been, and I don't want that to be the case here. And it's not the case here. I have been in churches where I wish people would sit down and be quiet. Well, you hear how quiet it got there? Well, just go with me. You'll think the same thing. I didn't say that. Well, I'm not going to lie to you, no. You know what I'm talking about. I've been in places where, I mean, it was just a show. It was just, there was nothing. I'm going to tell you something. Singing, preaching, and praying, it'll cause you to shout. But I'm telling you, there's some places when, I mean, they come in and I'm like, hey, they, you know, the fundamentals of the book is what makes you want to worship. I don't worship Mamma or Papa. Come on now. And I'm telling you tonight, we, have, we worship God. I mean, listen, there's some people, they know the mechanics of it. And look, God knows we need some amen or somebody say amen. We need some praise the Lord. We need some folks that'll do this right here. We need some folks that'll testify. We need some people that, that will shout. I mean, we need that, but we need it to be real. Isn't that right? And we need it to be right. And it can be real and it can be right. And if you want it, you can have all of it you want. If you're willing to wait out, eat it. I'm telling you, God will bless your socks off if you just take it, amen? I'm talking about we don't need nothing foolish. We don't need nothing fancy, but we need something that's right and something that's real. And you can have all of that you want. If you'll just say, how do you get it, preacher? You just get in that word 
word every day and you spend a little time in prayer, I'm gonna tell you what God will do. He'll stir your soul. He'll speak to your heart and worship will be automatic. It'll be instinctive just like it is for these animals, uh, these beasts around the throne. Uh, and when you go to church, uh, it won't be nothing more than an extension of what God's already been doing in your life. Uh, you won't need the preacher to pump and prime and push uh, and try to beg you to do anything. Uh, I'm telling you, in fact, we'll have to tie you to the pew and try to settle you down uh, because it'll just be that real and that good in your life. So, preacher, that's not my personality. And I think some people, that's not their personality. But I'm gonna tell you this tonight. If you're not careful, we will let Satan put everything in our path to distract us from just getting our minds on him. Amen. Brother, I'm telling you tonight, I don't wanna ever come to church and just go to church. I wanna go to church, set my mind on him. Let me say this in closing tonight. This book's about jubilation, and then I close with this thought. Chapter 6, verse 1, it's about judgment. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I'll read no further, for you know that when the seals are beginning to be opened, then judgment's beginning to be poured out. We better worship while we can, because judgment begins at the house of God. When I think about judgment in the house of God, here's what I think about tonight. I think about our liberty to worship and our freedom to worship could very quickly be taken away. I remind you tonight there's a crowd even in our own country they'd love nothing more than to shut old time Bible thumping Christians down. If they could ship us to an island somewhere and clean this nation out, they'd do it before the sunrise. If they could do it. It's been the hand of God that stayed us. It's been God's mercy that you and I can still walk through them doors today and not have to fear that someone's going to turn us away. We better take advantage of what we can while we got it. Tonight, we ought to pray for our church. We ought to pray that it'll stay red hot around here all the time. We don't want anything or anybody to cool us down. We don't want church to become about anything other than church. I like special days. I like doing, I like doing those things. I'm being honest with you. I, I think it's just, it's just enjoyable to me. But that's not what we're about, is that right? I like fellowships and I like cookouts and I like, you know, dinners and things that we have, but that's not what we're about. Amen. What I mean by that, Brother David, we could get rid of every bit of that stuff and still carry right on, couldn't we? So I'm gonna tell you, but if you take away preaching, you take away Wednesday night church, I'm telling you, you cancel Wednesday night church and say no more Wednesday night church. Small groups for now on. We'll meet at people's houses. You take that away, you just cut the throat of this church. I'm telling you, when you stop supporting missionaries, you stop giving to missions and you stop knocking on doors, you might as well put a for sale sign out in the front yard. We're done, ain't we? It's over with. It ain't nothing more than a social gathering when we're not reaching the lost at any cost. Brother, sacrifice in the work of God. Worship in the Bible always costs somebody something, amen? I wanna tell you tonight, my worship ought to cost me something. 
It ought to cost me my flesh, amen. My, it ought to embarrass my flesh. It ought to cost me my sacrificial giving. It ought to cost me my time. You Sometimes you might say, preacher, I get weary on Wednesday night and I've worked all day and I'm hard, tired and I, and I think about, boy, I just really like to sit in the house. I know that's the flesh. And I'm gonna tell you something. There have been times my flesh has said that. But the sacrifice. How many times have we come to church on a Wednesday night we didn't feel like being here, but we came because it was our duty. But what started out as your duty turned into your delight. Amen. Because that's what worship does for you. That's what this generation has to learn. Church is number one priority. It's number one on the list. It has to be first and foremost. Don't marry nobody that don't want to put church first. Don't marry nobody that don't want to be a part of this kind of church. Amen. Not against the Southern Baptist, but don't marry a Southern Baptist. Amen. Amen. Don't marry a Methodist. Don't marry a Presbyterian. Don't marry a Church of God. We're going to keep all that on tape. Amen. I raised my kids independent, Bible-believing, 1611, King James, old-fashioned, shouting, mission-supporting, door-knocking, soul-winning. Amen. Sin-killing, leather-lung-preaching Baptists. And I told them growing up, I said, you don't even think about don't even think about marrying one of them because you'll never convert them. They'll always convert you. Amen. Tonight, he's worthy to be praised, isn't he? And as we stand.